What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Curious Cats podcast with me, your host, Ricky Spears and Chris Wharton. We're very excited to share today's episode with you. Uh, we sat down with Damon Beasley, the man behind the Inbetweeners. He co-wrote all three series and the two films with his partner, Ian Morris. He also wrote White Gold, uh, a series set in the 80s about double glazing salesmen. If you haven't seen that one, and you enjoy the in-betweeners please do check it out it's brilliant it's currently on netflix i think and the second series of it is due to come out uh in a few weeks time i believe in march on bbc2 apparently um so yeah do go back and check that out if you haven't seen that it can sneak under the radar that one and it's it's brilliant so do go and check that out chris has known damon for quite some time now i think even before the in-betweeners was was even created Chris has been training Damon so that's how that's the background of how we know and managed to get Damon on the podcast Chris has also been in an episode of the Inbetweeners he's also been in an episode of White Gold Blink and you'll miss him um, so they've become good friends over the years and have been training together for a long time and thanks so much for Damon to Damon for coming back on the podcast. We'd actually already recorded one with him, but unfortunately the file ended up being corrupt and I couldn't recover it for love nor money. So we ended up having to ask Damon to come back on and record another episode of which he agreed to do. So thanks a lot to him for that. Um, we recorded an even better episode, so it all worked out all right. Today's episode is a good chance to get to know Damon and more about the industry and the writing process he goes through um, about what's coming next and the story behind the in-betweeners. I really enjoyed it. I find the whole subject on writing, particularly comedy, fascinating. So please enjoy Damon Beasley. All right, cool. Damon, thanks for coming coming back, mate. Good morning. <laughs> this is, uh, when did we do it last time? Was it in the afternoon? I don't know. We'll see if there's different evening, energy. Maybe it was my evening energy. Just yeah screwed the we system. actually just listened to it back and thought this guy is so boring energy's all off piece. i told you before that uh yeah you might i went well you can cut this bit out <laughs> ian ian did a podcast with uh, a famous podcaster but i won't name names because it probably will go out and more famous like, you won't get it more famous slightly on a park but anyway and a, and a very good podcast it's got a huge podcast and at the end of it ian said to to, to me it was, like, oh, it, was, it was awful i was so boring and i said to him at the end that's never going out is it and he's like no 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 of course it will i put them all out i put them all out and it's never been out i mean he did it about three years ago and it's never been out and i'm always like oh man that would that would, that would burn wouldn't it <laughs> Every night you must sit there thinking that's not just emailing him. Um, when's it coming out? Yeah, yeah that's true. Hey, but he's written that email but never sent it. Yeah, so I don't, uh, don't want to bother you, Mr. Rogan. Yeah, <laughs> I'll make this so non topical that you could use it at any point in the next six or seven years when you have a lull. <laughs> a lull well, in material. Should you get that Damon Beasley one? <laughs> Brexit. Oh, yeah, we won't talk about Brexit. No, no, we certainly won't. I don't understand it anyway. It'd be, it'd be, <laughs> mind you, no one else does, so it'd be a good, uh, a good to read, add to the ill-informed debate. I read two articles yesterday, one of which said house prices are looking to jump by 25% in the next five years, and one said the exact opposite. Yeah, All yeah. like experts, so-called. I'd assume the 25% up might be bullshit, unless people really do like living on a prison island. <laughs> what's, what's well, you to, think so, wouldn't you? I, 
yeah, you know, well, you can't fly out of here. You can't drive around anywhere, and you have to. The food's rationed. But we have got uh, Butlins Bogner Regis. So. That's true. <laughs> Good point. Been there. Mm-hmm. I have as well yeah, twice. Yeah. So I saw stag a right of passage, stag isn't it? Yeah, one was a stag do. Filth. You can't whack a Butlins stag do. <laughs> I, I actually you know what you're going to get. It was good. Were you there? Uh, yeah, was it Barnsley's UK yeah. one, wasn't it? Yeah, Barnsley it? UK. Barnsley. <laughs> good times. Good time. What happened to Barnsley? What did you do to Barnsley? Nothing. <laughs> I think he got away pretty lightly. Yeah. We yeah. never really went in for the whole full stitch up other than a stupid outfit. Yeah. But We're a bit, no, more, we're no a bit more cultured than that, aren't we? A bit more civilised. Sure. Sure. Hmm. Um, anyway, Damon, thanks for coming back. So for anyone listening, we fucked the first... Well, Rick fucked the first Fuck one. Off, mate. The laptop fucked the first one. It was like one. a technical... When you get too boring on a podcast... <laughs> I've got this theory of my iPhone. After about 15 minutes, it often cuts off the phone call. And I'm, I take it as a sort of little dig in the ribs from it like that. You don't need to be having anything oh, over 15 minutes on a phone yeah, call, bore do off Damon yeah. Z. Too boring. <laughs> do you do that when you're having a boring phone call and it, and it cuts? And then you think... I'm not. I'm not going to call them back and then see if they don't call you back. I don't. I'm, I very, very rarely call back because no. it's usually towards the end. And something you've said what you want to say. Yeah, you both got the gist. Of this things. is like. I mean, for I think men in particular, phone calls are usually very short. Yeah, but um, I like whereas, them though. Don't get me wrong. I like them. I don't like the long, incredibly rambly ones unless it's with people I'm catching up with. But I don't like. I prefer a short phone call to a long text like that. I hate a text. I hate a long text because I have to write it. I'm like, this is. I mean, it genuinely is a concern of mine. I'm like, takes me so much longer when I could just ring up. And if you answer the phone, which obviously no one does in 2019, unless it's the police. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. No one answers the phone anymore. You could just go, oh yeah, about that thing. Yeah, let's meet this time. Yeah, is that all right with you? Rather than seven emails. Isn't it bizarre that we? Still, like you wouldn't have thought, like an SMS text message would be. I mean, it's WhatsApp now, isn't it? But of all for all the technology we have now, like video calls and FaceTime and calling people, you wouldn't think that people even bother with that. But there's something about people not hearing the tone of your voice or seeing your smarmy little face. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It's not. It's basically that, isn't it? You just haven't got time for. Yeah, why is it? Because another human in your life. Easier is it to to send a WhatsApp? No. The thing, this WhatsApp business with the blue ticks as well. That's. Oh, that's a game changer. Well, I've, oh. I've learned something recently, and if you're really snaky, <laughs> you can turn that feature off. Oh, interesting. So, somebody's told me so. So now it's always just stays as two double um, dark ticks. It will never go blue, even. But if then you read they it. they must know that you've turned it off, though. No. Oh, is it, did a dark well, tick so just that, mean that it's, it's gone? It's delivered, yeah, it but it's they've delivered. not looked at it. Oh, man, I thought it meant they'd read it. I was always like, oh, they're keen, because I get it straight away. I was like, yeah. it straight? I thought, well, people... No, double blue tick is, is uh, red, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So but, but Rick, if you bubble, turn that off, you're then, and, you're, but, and you're replying, they know you've read it, obviously, so they know you've turned that off. Yeah, but so if they're trying to get hold of you, mate, can we do this? What's happening with this? Have you done it? Yeah. No, 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 not at all. Why are you looking at me like mate, you have? Because, <laughs> because I found out a mate who has, and I'm like, you fucking snake. Yeah, that's a bit slimy. Isn't it's it? much more acceptable, psychologically somehow, to ignore a WhatsApp than it is to ignore a text. Like WhatsApp for me is a bit like the internet. It's a bit like someone's put it on Twitter. I can reply if I need to or <laughs> that's want a good to. Point, yeah. Whereas with a text, I'm like, that's like a contract. 
I mean, anyone listening to this who knows me, we you pretty you fucking never reply to text. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't want to be on a WhatsApp group with me because <laughs> I was like, did he die? I haven't heard from that guy for a long time. I would time. say, I would oh, yeah, say the opposite. On the WhatsApp group. I'd yeah, say the opposite. I think. I think if someone texts me, I'm like, well, they don't know if I've read it or not. Oh, I see. You're all you're all about the yeah. you know the the look. We're rare, rarely texting anymore as well. Right? You get a text message. Yeah, who texts? Like, what's Whoa. going on here? <laughs> There was a guy talking about, and that was on the Joe Rogan podcast, I think, recently. Michael, I don't listen to that a lot, but he was a, a sort of skeptic and a scientist called Michael Shermer. And he was talking about a principle that the. Uh, oh, no, it wasn't him, actually. So I get that wrong. It might have been on Malcolm Gladwell's uh, podcast, which is a very good podcast I've just yeah, found. Decent. I mean, obviously, everyone knows about it, but yeah. I've just found it. But uh, revisionist history. But he was talking about one where there's a, uh, a psychological theory. Um, where when people do something good uh and for example let's say like people voted for obama people would say that the the, the result like trump was almost an, a, a sort of result of that is that people felt like they did did a good because they did a good thing by voting for an african-american candidate and having an african-american uh, president that sort of allowed all everyone who was a bit racist in America to go oh well that's fine because I've voted for Obama once or we allowed ourselves to have a black president so now we can be quite racist yeah. in the open again yeah. and it's <laughs> a sort of a theory that you do a good thing and then you sort of then let yourself off the hook a little bit because you think oh I've done one good thing that means like, the reward is I can then have some unpopular opinions or I can you know it's like it's like you know this from physical exercise people will do a load of exercise yeah, and at the end of it like they've lost meal. like two stone they'll go right <laughs> yeah I'll yeah. go out now and I'll go to an all you can eat buffet yeah. I'm be a bit racist that's like my little cheat yeah yeah I forgot what it's called it's got a good name as well but um, yeah, it was interesting that those little things you, do, you know we were talking about that earlier when we were Chris it's just it. that you're, you're so much that you do that's sort of out of your control that you discover as you get older and you know you start to realise oh yeah I don't know how much control I have over it any of the things that you know I do really on a daily basis. Well, we were we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? Yeah. We, I was. I mentioned about um, the podcast we did last night. Yeah. And how it's, it, it it seems though, like we were saying. So for anyone listening, we did a podcast with a guy called Dan Keeley, who um, he essentially lost his mind. And and if you listen, that's probably going to go out just one episode before this. And Damon and I were saying this morning how. <laughs> It's also quite boring. Yeah. <laughs> Dave and I were saying how it, it, we were all probably quite close to that point. And, and Rick and I were saying about like the real like visionaries, tunnel vision people, Steve Jobs and like Jeff Bezos, who have this real one set goal, are probably one step away from being insane anyway. Yeah. And how close are all of us to like, how, how much control do we really have? Because I, I have these, I have like, I can be a completely different person intradaily. Yeah. So like in the morning I can be like on cloud nine and then in the afternoon something really small I'll allow to like piss me off massively yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I'll be stewing on it for I'll be dining on it until the <laughs> evening. It um, can flip quickly, can't it? Yeah, I was saying so I I, know, I realized only a few days ago I walked by you know in London you're always walking by people who are you know out on the streets and nutters. Yeah, just, you know, probably because I've got mental health issues, they're on the streets, not the streets hasn't given it to them, you know. Yeah. And and they're there and they're screaming and shouting. And you suddenly, I was very aware. I was like, I mean, that could be me in two hours, you know. Like, <laughs> it could be because your your brain's just like a, like, like a knee. You know what I mean? You can overuse it. You can work, you know, you, a lot of people, 
you know, to get to a point because I was under a lot of stress. Or, but then, the, you know, and if you're depressive in any way or you've got a history yeah. of that, it can, you know, it can escalate into quite serious mental health problems. And without care and attention and medication, that's huge. You know what I mean? That's like, that's like just, you know, snapping, a, you know. Your, ligament. Yeah, yeah, your ligament. And, yeah, it's, it's frightening, isn't it? You sort of think, God, dear, that... Yeah, you know, no one's that brain. far away from it. You everyone thinks uh, they are, because but until it happens, oh, I, it happens. I think I can be fairly close at times. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I don't feel like I'm quite self-aware, so I don't know that I ever would be that close. But it's easy to say. Yeah, but it just goes. I don't think it's like you go, oh, I might be mental. I better go and get that sorted out. I mean, you just suddenly come in and start behaving irrationally, and uh, you know, there's an imbalance because everything changes. You get older, like you know, like wear and tear, and just the sort of you know, chemical balance in your body change or in your brain and, you know, certain bits of your brain die off. You know, you yeah, only like get one bang on the head. Yeah, the the grey matter in your brain. Yeah. Is, yeah so when you, you get a brain more, injury, you can yeah. change your personality. Like, lots of people have experienced that. Literally change their personality overnight because they get a smack on the head. Yeah, yeah. And they become very gregarious and just, you know... Yeah, I mean, this, depending on which part of your brain obviously gets yeah. injured can depend mass... Well, entirely well, dependent on... So if you get, like, a the point part of your cerebral cortex gets damaged that is responsible for language, you can no longer speak. We're all looking at Chris now. Complete... We're looking at Chris and thinking, when did he get that bang on the head? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me. Uh, but why that would segue into something that's probably more useful or interesting is that idea that we were talking about it earlier. And I said, I, one of the, I guess the ex benefits of experience of getting older is that you start to recognise that a lot of what you do is sort of by rote there's a process to it so writing in particular so for me writing is much more about the process than it is about the creativity you know it, it, which is a weird thing to say but actually a lot of writing is once you once you've got the idea and you kind of know what you want to do and that's the, that's the big step i guess but when you've got that and then a lot of it's planning and then you know, committing to paper and then redrafting and going over and over and over something. And I've learned over the years that just by doing that, even if you don't, like you can feel as uncreative as you, it's possible to feel, which I do most of the time. You can go through the process, you know, writing's a slog. You can, But if you do the process, do all the steps all the way at the end, you suddenly get to a script that you go, oh, that might be all right. And then yeah. other people will read it and go, that's good, that's good. We can, you know, tweak and change that. But, but, you know, I, I rely so heavily on that process because if I didn't know that that worked, you would get like, for, I would stop within, yeah. you know, a day or two of sitting around in my pants and not having anything on the page and just thinking, God, I should switch the internet off. I mean, that is <laughs> like, that's the, I know, I'm, so many writers, it's very rare when you meet writers, really annoying when you meet, you know, really disciplined driven writers who can churn it out and it's excellent and is, are there any yeah there are i mean i i i work with them and they're all oh. like brilliantly funny and and great people yeah it's huge just, it's really irritating better that. than you yeah right? yeah yeah they're way better so yeah but and, and that's but then you just think well you can't make yourself that either i don't believe that i sort of think certainly if you're going to try and do something that's creative and it's coming from you the last thing you want to do, and maybe this is just self-deception, but the last thing you want to do is <laughs> change like who you are. Yeah. Because if, like, I feel a bit like if I change who I am, it might come out, you know, not as good. Shit, yeah. Funny yeah. enough, I've heard 
Gary Vaynerchuk saying that the other day, that he doesn't want to meditate because he's worried that it might change who he is, <laughs> which is an interesting point. But. I do want to meditate because I just like sleeping. <laughs> like, like relaxed. But yeah, I, it's hard to find the time, isn't it, to meditate? Definitely. Well, yeah. do you do yoga? Did anyone do any of that? And I no, know, I know of all the it, benefits of meditation and have practiced it in the past and I still don't carve out time to do it because I just find it a bit of a chore. Yeah, I think... Maybe I'm not good enough. An important point, though, again, we were talking about yesterday, is just starting your day a bit slower. That works for me. But yeah. like you say, sitting down and meditating, is a, it's not for everyone. I like, the, I like it. I like the feeling of it. But yeah, I think I'm... I think that what... The state that people are trying to get to when... And we say meditate, I guess anyone listening, I'm talking about mindfulness, really, you know, yeah. which to me, because I've done a bit of hypnotherapy because I don't like flying in the past. Yeah. They're all very similar sort of things. I've done a bit of yoga, done a bit of hypnotherapy, done some mindfulness. And there's a bit of all of those, like at the end of the yoga session where you do sleepy time, you know, <laughs> it is all breathing and trying yeah. just to be in the moment. Yeah. And I think I'm quite good at being in the moment. I think that's not my problem. Like, I right. always think, when they say, look, just forget about everything, everyone else. <laughs> don't fucking think about them anyway. Don't worry about anything that's <laughs> stressing you out or coming up in the future. You know, just concentrate on what's going on now. I'm like, I'm doing that all the time. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> irritating for everyone well. else, yeah. Um, but I do think that. I do think, like, I could go for a run and I'm getting the same thing out of it. You know, I said that exactly yesterday. Running is yeah. my, that's my way of doing yeah. it. Getting outside and but if you can't, I'm, I was like, Christ, is that what people are walking around and they can't stop thinking about all the stress that they're under and the things that are annoying that are coming up? And the I was like, Oh God, yeah, I'd hate to be like that. I mean, I'd never sleep. Yeah, I, that, that, I that can is be exactly like that. what it's like. That I, I yeah. get that to a certain extent, but I catch it. But mm. a lot of the time, you catch yourself thinking of every small little thing. I've got that's to an, do. that's an important thing for people to distinguish between is that mindfulness and meditation like mindful meditation isn't sitting in with your legs crossed yeah with your eyes closed listening um, to like mantras like, <laughs> yeah. it is like catching yourself drifting away from the moment and yeah like i can be I, I catch myself doing it especially when i'm doing something really mundane like driving or like queuing in in a shop for example then i my brain is thinking about some completely either fucked up or random shit <laughs> yeah. that i don't need to be thinking about at all or, or it's quite nice when you come out of it though isn't it it's a bit yeah. like and I, and I think that's the same with mindfulness when I've done that you have a similar feeling when you have a day when you're if you're a daydreamer when you come out of a daydream you do sort of think oh yeah. oh here I am oh, that's, you know, do you know what I mean it feels yeah. like a bit like oh right, here we go again we I'm get back, frozen into, get back to that yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh I've just come into a tree <laughs> oh I just ran over a pedestrian but I like, I like that feeling uh, the writing process though. yes is that something that you've learned over time did you learn that before the in-betweeners did you pick it up doing the in-betweeners and, and what is that process? I think I'm a fairly slow learner so I no actually I don't I hadn't written a script before the in-betweeners right so that was the first thing that so do I, you guys um, is that true write, I didn't know that yeah. did you well, write the script you or did. do you come up with the idea then does someone else do that how does it work well the, the, the sort of potted history of it is there's a uh, the guy that I write it with, who's you know one of my best friends, Ian Morris. Um, we the only best were, friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the only friend I don't have to pay to <laughs> spend time with. Um, <laughs> he, uh, that's true as well. Um, <laughs> now I think about it. Oh god, <laughs> just feel my own heart breaking. <laughs> that got to be done. Yeah. No. Uh, he, so. So I first met Ian when we were working on a show called the Eleven O'clock Show. Uh, that was all uh, kind of like. 
topical news show would have been great now around Brexit. I mean, actually, it would have been awful because every night you'd have to do jokes about Brexit and you run yeah. out of jokes. Because I think at the time there was like the first Iraq war and everyone was just like, I can't keep writing jokes about the Iraq war. And that it's was the, the show that made Ali G, wasn't So it was it? Ali G, Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Uh, Ricky you know, Gervais was on it as well. Yeah, Ian Lee and Daisy Donovan were hosting it. There was loads of Jimmy Carr. You know, loads yeah. of great talent came through that show. Um and uh, I was, so Ian and I met there and we, we became friends, worked on a few things, worked on Ricky Gervais's show. So we were always like producing and directing different bits of sort, sort of entertainment comedy, short form comedy. And, and then we both ended up working at Channel 4 as commissioners, which is where you sort of are responsible for looking at material for new shows and deciding, you know, this would be a good one for the channel to do and invest in. And you what would that title be called? Commissioning Editor. Right. Or a commissioning executive, right? Okay. Um, and then when when we we left channel, I left Channel Four a couple of years before him, but he left a few years later. And and we both we'd always worked pretty much in comedy at that point, and we both decided that we we're going to start our own production company rather than working for other people because we kind of didn't. To be honest, we didn't really think it through, but we just thought you know there's a chance if it goes well, you can make some money. Mm. Um, and the first thing that he, when Ian left, he was given a script commission to write his own script because uh, his boss is um, a brilliant woman called Caroline Leddy, who is kind of, she's sort of like our, uh, you know, our mentor. I, I think she I was at the premiere, was she? Yeah, yeah, yeah you'd have met Caroline. She's yeah. a fantastic woman. And she's she was the head of comedy then. And mm. she said to Ian, you know, you're funny. I like the way you talk with your friends, you know, like when you're down and we're having dinner and stuff like that. It's that if you can bottle that, if you can mm. like turn that into that tone, into a sort of script, I think it could be good. So it was, it was her who identified that in the first place. But she said that's Ian, not you. Not to me. Okay. <laughs> How does that feel? I wasn't there. Oh, okay. Fine. Yeah. But, but, you know, still, it's very clear she said that to you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so we, so Ian said, at the time we were living together and he was like I, I'm going to do this script commission I'd like do you want to, will you do it with me because I don't want to do it on my own and we'd always talked about you know what we like watching on TV and comedies we were big fans of Partridge and uh, you know we liked a lot of the same same stuff day yeah. to day and Brasso around that time 40s hours oh, you know uh, yeah. we just worked with Gervais and the office was just out and we loved that you know some you know all of, all of our comedy influences are very similar and we were like yeah you know talked about what we'd like want to do and one of the things we kept coming back to is how funny it was to be even just to listen to 16 year old boys in a gang do you know what I mean like they're, yeah. they're full of bravado and they say the most outrageous things and they're they're overconfident in groups but they're really <laughs> kind of you know timid in yeah. if you break them off into sections yeah. and they don't really know anything about the world and uh, and, and no one's really listening yeah. yeah yeah and it's great like they get away with so much I've always said is because no one listens everyone's like they're just idiots, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, or you want to avoid you know. them, you know, you like cross the street. And yeah. so, and it's quite frustrating being that age because you're trying everything out and, you know, you think you're an adult, but actually, you're, you know, no one takes you seriously, really. You're, just, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're in a, a sort of hinterland between other kids, you know, yeah. rec you know, recognising and respecting you and adults, you know, doing the same. So, so it always felt like, and we loved American Pie um, yeah. at, at that point. And uh, we were really, yeah, we just thought, well, look, we should do a thing about that. And we went away and, sat down and, and came up with the characters and, and the ideas and, and then it all sort of snowballed from there obviously. But that was the that was the first step. So the first step was identifying what it was, what we, what the story was, what we wanted to say, and then, you know, who were then gonna be the characters, like the ciphers for the 
for the doesn't it feel like it's it's been part of our culture for eight for forever yeah. it feels like it's always been a thing yeah that it feels diff it's difficult to understand how, how that you would have come up from that from like the character the characters seem so perfect in, in their not only their casting but mm. in the script how the script's written it seems difficult to see how you come from a concept to then that working out so you must have thought we've had a touch here when it worked so well yeah because for you i'm sure bef uh, you must have had people read it and think say this is good but you, did you ever think it was going to no of course not take because off like it did no you no, i mean never. you never do right no. surely i mean when so when it first went in the yeah the reaction was really positive because you're just thinking christ i mean is anyone gonna think this is awful yeah. and but we got very like there's a guy who works at the bbc now as a head of comedy friend of ours shane allen but he was at channel four working for caroline at the time and, and i remember obviously caroline had said you know she loved it but then shane had just said oh caroline passed this on to me and i read it and it's brilliantly funny and you know, because there's some rogue stuff. Like there'd been nothing like it really before. We say it can make comparisons to like American Pie and so on. I know you're not comparing it to, but <clears throat> that humour is completely different, isn't it? Like it's not. I think I mean, it's, you drop some bombs in the in between. That's pretty early on. You know, it's similar, isn't it? But the, it's the culture between the British yeah. and the American, is it? It was just so relatable to to British people. I, I guess, but you know that. Like I mean, at this, exactly the same time was what was weird about it, as we were making our our first series um, possibly the pilot I think it was the first series uh, Superbad came out now if yeah, I think of anything yeah, that's tonally yeah, almost the yeah. same like you could watch that and think that we'd rip that off or they ripped that off us and it's amazing I'm glad that we landed at the same time because it was impossible to do that but like I watched that and I was like this is it you know like this this is what we were, this is what we've been trying to capture you know there's something about that they've nailed it that you know yes exactly yeah. the same thing and, I, and, and so I think it does translate better than people think yeah. But I'm not sure it's kind of been pushed enough in America for people to like it's got a cult following but it was never on you know we were just pre Netflix you know so yeah. to get it it had to be on the right channel and it ended up going on BBC America and at the time like they had to cut out what's they literally on, had to cut out Netflix like now? some of the swear bleep out the swearing so that was weird the show would be weird like and it it was arbitrary as to what would get bleeped out because they didn't know some british swear words <laughs> so they're sort of like bleeping out people saying piss and it's shit and they were clunging it up <laughs> wankers and so that was funny to us but to an audience it was slightly baffling and then the other thing they did which was even more baffling was that they have a different time slot like our shows were tw oh, quite a lot quite short because it was a E4 half hour but they were 24 minutes out there they needed to be in a half hour slot you know, out there they wanted them to be 21 minutes so they went through the show and they thought the easiest way to get it down to time is to cut off almost like at the end of every scene is a joke we always used to have like for that show particularly end the scene on a funny line you know always go out on a joke yeah. So they would cut off all the, all the jokes on the end of the scene because they were just like, well, they're not story driven. We can get rid of those. So it sort of became quite bleak because they would take it would always end on a really bum note, like yeah. the scenes and a bit odd. And they were just, just before the good. Yeah, bit. and they would say it just changed it totally. So we were never consulted on that. So, and I think that that was you know, and then it, it you know it was just the, probably the wrong size of channel for it to catch fire, and there was no other way to follow up. But but. You know, as I say, you can watch Superbad and the Inbetweeners, and they're almost from the same like fruit from the same tree, aren't yeah. they? I think. Why? Yeah. Why? This might be a stupid question, but why can't? Why is it not on Netflix now? I think it is in America. Oh, it is. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think it gets That's watched. criminal otherwise, really, isn't it? Yeah, not over here, but um, it is out it's there. It's been on Netflix here, though, right? Uh, I don't know. I can't, yeah, I, I don't know the reasons why. It's all to do with rights. So I think because right, Channel yeah, 4 yeah. have the rights in the course, UK, yeah. they wouldn't it's want to do with the readies. It is to do with the readies. With that side of things, with, with Netflix and stuff like that, you saying, like, I'm surprised when you say, oh, you don't, you don't know if it was ever on the Netflix. Mm. That yeah. amazes me. So it's not really anything to do with you from that point. Um, he, hasn't read his, he hasn't replied to his text. <laughs> yeah, someone probably texted me about it at some point. <laughs> yeah, I lost a couple of mil because of it, don't worry. <laughs> no, um, it, it, yeah, it's kind of... It, I mean, it's boring, it's a boring answer, but if people are interested, I think what what tends to happen is, you the yeah, the right sales are normally handled by either an outside agent or if you're in a big company, your own company handles it. We were a small company and then we got bought by a bigger company and they... You know the the right sales are just handled by those. So you you know you kind of are buy. I think contractually they're supposed to tell you when it's sold and whatever, but you just end up getting a check. I mean, mainly oh, it's yeah. on Channel Four. I mean, it's quite. I think if it was a huge hit all around the world, it would be more difficult. But it does. It is a big hit in Australia. I mean, you know, it's a good point, Rick. I'm going to look into that. <laughs> <laughs> those these fucking checks. No, I, I mean, yeah, you don't know. I didn't consult you as much as you'd like, but I mean, you know, that's a different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but going back to the process, you, there's a long ramble around the process, and you were saying, so how, you know, that was so Ian and I, you know, we'd sit, we'd get we get the idea, and then from that, st- so from that stage, like the first step was take. We took, so we always take time out. We try and find a place. We used to go to a place called uh, Brand, just outside Brandscombe in Devon, and it's really remote it was a friend's uh, parents house and we'd say there oh this is where there's, there's a, just one pub is it one is pub yeah. the mason's arms are fantastic if you go going to devon go to branscombe mason's is it arms. just just the two of you two of us we'd walk to the pub at night i mean it was pretty much have you ever seen that film with nell and i it was pretty much like two mm. like two, <laughs> two, basically with nell and i is the story of these out of work actors who go to the countryside at the end of the 60s um and it's a brilliant comedy you must say that's what if, if we talk about comedies that we both loved ian and i were yes. mad about with nell and i yeah um and and they're just like townies in the countryside and they're sort of you know running up to the farmer just going we've come on holiday by mistake please can we get some food and like they did so we were with nail and i with nail and i and richard e grant plays with now and it's one of the best sort of comic character performances of all time it's a beautiful film it's really great i watched that um and yeah so we would go we got to this house you you have families at this point i think when we first started actually uh, uh, yeah. No, yeah, I was just thinking, obviously, that we were orphans. <laughs> we were like Annie. Uh, but no, when we first started, we uh, had, I, I was, ma- I'm pretty sure I was married. No, I wasn't actually, sorry, Nicole, my wife, my lovely wife. My wife. Uh, I, she, I, but I was, I was living with Nicole and I think, because 2000, like we've just done the 10th anniversary, uh, so 2007, my son was born in, in March 2007. I think that was just after we'd made the pilot or we were just going to go and make it. So, yeah, I was a young dad, I think, when we went okay, right. away. So it was like heaven. <laughs> yeah. It was a week in Branscombe. Yeah. Walk, but we used to walk to this pub, the Mason's Arms, at night. And it was down country lanes. 
And like I'd just lived in towns for so long, I'd forgotten what dark was like. You know, yeah, yeah. it was scary. You couldn't see like you know your hand in front of you if it was a cloudy night because there's no light. There's literally no yeah. ambient sort of light anywhere, and you can hear rivers, sort of like little terrifying, streams, terrifying like, rivers. Everything, everything that sounds beautiful like <laughs> yeah. at night when it's pitch black, it's just like. There's baddies everywhere. Yeah, I'd hide. I, if I was following me, I'd be walking in the stream, so you'd be hidden. The steps would be hidden, and so we'd do all that and then go to the pub. So we'd write all day, and then we'd uh, like ideas, and and then we'd go to the pub, and then we'd sort of read back. We'd print it out and read back what we'd written, and just do that. So our, a week of sort of going over it, we came away, you know, with the idea for the first episode. We created all the characters. We created, you know, the, the yeah, to sound a bit wanky, but the universe got created was formed there, yeah. and then we end up. Um, you know coming back and then we have to go you know we I think we went back there to write the script possibly I can't remember and then we ended up you know eventually we come up with the script um, the first draft of the script we'd sort of break it once we got a story plan so we, we go characters stories for a series and at that point we'd recorded enough anecdotal material that had happened to us and to friends in in this file the anecdote file that we mm. kind of knew we had like a good yeah, yeah. series worth of episodes mm. and then we were you know we talked about all of our episodes but the first episode was the bunk off episode that was the pilot and that was the one that went out second in this uh, first series and that starts with a girl getting a, a disabled girl getting a frisbee in her face yeah <laughs> good start true good story high watermark <laughs> true story no it wasn't a true story actually mm. Uh, one of the few that wasn't yeah. um, and just your depraved mind thought that up. I'm just trying to think it's, it's probably got some true element of truth to it I mean the just because we're talking about the disabilities uh, section now when Ian is uh, where, sorry when Will I say Will Ian because I mean basically Simon was more me as when I was younger and, and Ian is I'd say not more Will he's just brief, he's brief case, man. <laughs> that is yeah it's very easy to write Will I always find because uh, I just think what did Ian do what did Ian say then <laughs> and so it works quite well whereas with Simon you're much cooler than Simon in real life. Do you know what? He's, he's not. He's, he's not so openly comic anyway. Like he doesn't get to do so many lines. And also, Joe Thomas, who plays him, has made him. I always think made him like a million times weirder, which is funnier and funnier. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then when I look back on it, I think oh, no, I probably was quite weird, wasn't I? <laughs> when people go, "Oh yeah, that really was like you," and you think, "Oh, that's yeah, that's disappointing." Kind of <laughs> yeah. Weird, yeah, yeah. But so, where was we going? So we got so. We, characters oh yeah uh, i'm just gonna say that that scene where will is uh arguing and shouting at some people on the front of a uh, roller coaster because he's queued up to get oh, yeah. on the front that yeah. was that is almost verbatim it was worse than that when he, ian morris did that in uh i think he was at six flags in america uh, six flags is a nutty yeah, yeah, but also he wasn't a child. He was like yeah. a fully grown adult. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. He's screaming and shouting because he queued up and he wanted to go on the front with his friends. <laughs> <laughs> and then realised that the people who'd been brought on... Was that in LA? Suffered from Down syndrome. Yeah, uh, yeah, Down syndrome, yeah. And did he, did he I don't know if it's to... Six Flags LA. I'm not sure which one it was. But... And did he actually have to swallow it like in, and then go I and sit next to I think he got booed them. off. <laughs> by the... <laughs> Oh, that's a bad day, isn't it? It was bad. He was. He's just like, we got. We've got to go. We've got to leave. You just go home feeling so uh, bad. Really yeah. let yourself down, yeah. there, Morris. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately for us, 
There's a lot of that yeah. in the in the in the, in the uh, story bank in the vaults from Ian. So, that yeah. sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Going away for a week with a mate. I was just thinking that, but then I imagine it's more stressful than that. Was no it fun that or was is it? Like, that bit's real. That bit's good. I mean, we've recently so did you booze. Sorry, just for you. Yeah, every night. Yeah. <laughs> okay, standard. <laughs> well, you do. You get to the pub and you yeah. have a few. I mean, we had some funny nights in the Mason's Arms. Uh, I just say that because I mean, we went out. Mm. You and I t- yeah. t- to talk about some ideas before about the third series was it or, or another series was that when we met uh, El Gordo yeah I called it um, I mean yeah I, and we just boozed and then we woke up and we were like oh, I can't fucking I can't remember any of it no yeah I can't remember being there it was, I mean, I was, I, I, that is the most drunk I can remember being in like the, my recent past like, was, that, I was, was just, that to talk about stuff for white gold yeah it was actually yeah and, and it did it, it it was useful because, like, one of the almost catchphrases from the show. Oh, Boise's. Boise's, <laughs> yeah. which is a, a is a Gordo special. That yeah. That. So he's he's a friend of mine. We Dame and I went and met him at a local pub to here, and because he, he was a, a double glazing salesman, right? Years ago, oh, really. And before becoming get, having a successful career as a broker, but he's like he is like. It, no, it, I mean it, we were. I mean I. I think that what was more appealing about him was the fact that he'd just been described as... I mean, he's a character, and he? he's like, yeah. he's a lunatic. He's yeah. what, you know, slightly yeah. I more mean, apt he, way of saying it. Like, he, he likes a he likes a booze and a joke and gets yeah. up to all sorts. So, yeah, he was... He's a mischief. He was telling some crazy stories. But again, yeah, going back to that point, I think I got so drunk I couldn't remember any yeah, of them. just none of it. <laughs> just Boise's. Boise's, well, I think Just one was. word. Yeah. But it made it. Made it to the cut. Yeah, so but, but but I assume that when you and Ian were doing that, you weren't like nailing pints in like three seconds. Is no, but I, I remember there was one funny night. We were there and they had a quiz on. Like, like I said, the locals were doing a quiz, and it was quiz night. So we might as well join in the quiz. And uh, like it was really funny because it became quite obvious from the rounds that the standard of <laughs> like general knowledge amongst the locals was quite low. So we're like, we're going to win this. We're going to win this. And we were a bit like we we because they would mark the rounds and then it would come back and and we'd have got like nine out of ten for the round and everyone else was like four or three. And I was a bit like you could see people were like the fuck are they? Yeah, he's, he's Einstein towners. over there out of town and I was, I was just generally saying to him like we're gonna just like try and throw this a bit because it's getting like you know we don't want to get we want to get out of here alive and there was like they're throwing comments across like uh oh look they got their own pen <laughs> and then ian would say things back like well you know it's a benefit of a first-rate education for you or something like that and i'd be like shut up don't say that don't say that and uh, and then on the last round, I think uh, we'd played. You know, you can play a joker in a quiz. Right. Yeah. And I think we'd played our joker on a round early on. And then the last round was something so sort of like so obvious, and everyone kind of it was basically like oh, like music from the nineteen sixties or hits and like stuff yeah. that we didn't know, but everyone else knew. And then uh, yeah, somehow we actually genuinely didn't win the quiz because they all played their Joker on that round. They knew, <laughs> they knew how it went, and uh, and yeah, they beat. I was so relieved. I was like, oh, thank fuck for that. So they reverse kippered you. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It it's was... not their first rodeo, is it? No, I bet they get the odd out of towner in there every week for a quiz. Oh, it was, it was, it was funny though. I was, it was, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, there you go. Process. So pro- that's. I, so that takes me back all the way back. Process is became really important, and probably Ian taught me that. You know, he 
he's he was much more disciplined and we went and, and he'd seen a lot of scripts as well like he was responsible for you know developing and getting peep show onto air when mm. he was at the channel and he used to you know he, he'd do a lot more in that like sitcom world and uh had read a lot of scripts and seen a lot of scripts and been through that process so he you know we kind of like ian sort of borrowed sam and jesse who wrote who brilliant writers who wrote peep show he sort of borrowed their process a bit and you know we we kind of went that way with it and then you know you make it your own but Ultimately, I, you know, now the older I get, the more I rely on that process because I say, if you're doing stuff on your own, which I have done recently, like my yeah. goals on my own, you know, I, I, I write that with some other guys, but we go off and write our own scripts and I do the majority of them. Um, it is that, that's, you know, that's when you need something. You yeah. really do need something to get you through because as I say, I've, I've, I think it's a well sort of used quote I think it might it might have been Amy Poehler who's written in her autobiography that she said there's not one single day that she's ever finished writing and like put down her quill yeah. <laughs> put it back in the ink pot Job and done. look back and gone that was a fantastic day of writing I mean I think I've written some brilliant stuff today and it was so enjoyable mm. it just doesn't ever you know when it, everyone always says that, oh your job must be so much fun you think well it is there's bits of it that are great but not that bit that's really not fun yeah yeah I can imagine I'm a procrastinator yeah so I can imagine and I know you can do you can oh. do as well can't you oh, I can yeah um, king of procrastinators yeah I can, if quite, I don't want to do a job I, I can swerve it for months yeah it must be quite painful when it comes to writing a script sometimes then is it if you've like got an idea that, it, it, and then after a while I'd imagine when you keep looking at it reading back over it and then in the end you're like is this funny I don't even know is it funny I don't know yeah, it is. Also, it's not the worst part is when you haven't done anything. <laughs> so you spend right. a lot of time and done nothing. Right. It must be a bit like being, you know, an alcoholic and going out the door and sort of telling your wife and kids and you know that you're going to work and spending all day in the pub. And at yeah. the end of it, you know, the self-loathing must be high. And then the wife goes, yeah. "How's work?" And you're like, "Yeah, it's you go, good. I've got loads yeah, done." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you've just been sat in your pants on yeah. Sky Sports News for like eight hours. Oh God, Twitter. It's yeah. a good. It's a brilliant program. I'm trying to make this useful for anyone listening. There's a brilliant. Uh, a bit of software that I use I think it's free you can pay for an, like a, a fancy Turbo version of it but it's yeah. free um, and it's called Freedom and like it's Freedom oh, for we Mac we discussed this and before it, we, yeah. yeah yeah on the yeah, podcast yeah. that couldn't go out it was too boring yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I should stay clear yeah. of this but Freedom I, I find that quite useful is uh, <laughs> I will switch that on and it will turn all the, everything off on your computer that's to do with the internet for a period of time that you designate so say all right or two hours now and then you can't get back on the internet uh, right. so it's very useful and and actually what i tend to do is uh you know i've, I've trained my my brain has trained itself not to put it on there <laughs> like, yeah. you know it's almost like you know that you're going to procrastinate you know your, your brain your body's like it's got to be some that is part of the process whether it's a healthy part of the process or not and whether it's necessary it is part of the process and now yeah. well, i am gonna find a way to do it whatever happens yeah. but then when i when it comes down to it i'm like i'm ready to go now then i can switch everything off and stop I think it's the same as like, like when you're a kid at school, like studying for an exam and things. Like everyone, it's almost like sometimes if you leave it last minute, or, mm. or like if you spend a lot of time like fucking about before, then you do get some good work done because you have to. Yeah. You know, I like to think that anyway because that's the only it's the only choice I've got. <laughs> yeah, it's the only way you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's easy just to, especially the internet. I mean, even if you put freedom on or or you put a code on your phone, you st still you know how to get around it, right? Or is there no way around it? If you want to yes, do it, hacker. you could switch it off totally. Oh, the old and switch. then turn it back on. Yeah. That'll do it. But 
actually it's quite a good deterrent you don't you don't really do it i mean yeah. you just what you work you think, well, I, could, all right, I, could get, just, yeah. I could probably get through another hour without the internet couldn't yeah. i yeah when you're writing is it pen pen to paper or are you on the laptop on the laptop you never never actually had no 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 i i, I thought I, you know i think it's just that generation where you know it's it takes it's quicker as well isn't it it's easier to correct mistakes and it's quite yeah. hard to go. And at some point it's going to end up, end up going on to a computer. Yeah. So, right, yeah. so when you, yeah, so when you're uh, normally, yeah, once you start scripting, it's going, there's a, there's a program that everybody uses called Final Draft, which is a script program. And so, yeah, it'd be, if you did it, if you did it by hand, you'd only have to re-enter it and input yeah, course, it at right. another point. So, so fast forward um, to when the first series was ready to, launch yeah. and then um how was that like the first episode did you watch the first episode on tv ready to launch as in it's been recorded yeah it's all right, ready all to go films. like the, the yeah the i can't remember what i probably did probably just had to probably it's hard to remember isn't it like well there's because there's always a screening which yeah. we would have done we may have we may have watched it like had a drinks and had the cast and crew together and then watched it go out together which we i mean as i said it was a while it was 10 years ago so i can't quite remember um I assume you know by now, or you have an inkling by now whether it's going to be popular because no, so no, no, people, no, 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 no idea. So that's the thing. Like when, so when the shows, uh, we made a pie. Eventually, so what we made, we wrote the script, went in, everyone really loved it, and then they said we can't make this. So is that as in wrote the script for the full, the whole series? Wrote one episode, pilot, the, episode, the pilot episode, and then the the view from Channel Four at that time was we wouldn't be able to put a show on Friday night on Channel Four. And the stars are all like 16, 17. People aren't that interested in that. And we were like, okay, fair enough. I kind of understood that. You know, that, where are you going to find brilliant comic star actors who can play 16 year olds? It was kind of made sense. So we were like, they, were, they asked us to go and write something else, but make them a bit older, which we did. And then when we delivered that, it wasn't as funny. And we some of the, like a different yeah series. yeah it was yeah. different one more or less same characters, but they were like living in London. Their lives were a bit more like our lives, you know, a bit right. more. And uh, and then it became apparent that like you know if they still had the same attitudes and said the same things that they did when they were sixteen, it all smelt frankly a little bit yeah. unwoke. Creepy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a bit you know it was. So one of the funny bits about it, it didn't feel, it didn't have that sort of you know, magic platform of uh, adolescence that yeah. allows you to get away with so much. Yeah, of course. Um, and then uh, after that, we thought, well, that's it. You know, probably, you know, that was it. That was a failed experiment. Maybe the company, I don't know what's, maybe we can make some other stuff. You know, we weren't, we were a bit unsure about what the future was. And then we we got asked, um, at the time Skins was being made and for E4, and they were spending a lot of money on it. And it just sort of changed the commissioning sort of strategy for E4. They used to spend a lot of money across tons of programs and make them really cheaply just to fill airtime yeah. on a channel. And then they were like, I'll tell you what, we'll use all our budget on maybe two projects, but we'll fund them really well, like proper television. Yeah. And one's going to be a drama, which turned out to be Skins, and the other will be a comedy. And they said, you know, do you want us to submit this to be one of maybe the comedy? And so that started that process. And eventually uh, it got picked up um, for a pilot. We made a pilot. The pilot was... Good. It wasn't convincing enough that they just went, go, go for it. We had to recast, but they gave us a series, but we ended up recasting um, and bringing in new actors. And then 
So, you, you know, it wasn't our experience up until that point that this show was, yeah. you know, just waiting to explode. It almost limped over the line at every stage. And then That's, when it it's went... It's always on, the case with pretty much every yeah. successful yeah. business, right? Is that point, that tipping point. Where I think it is. And when it went on air, the, the first episode... And I and I, I think I have this theory about all comedies is no one ever reviews the first episode of a comedy well, ever. Because they're always, and certainly the first five minutes of a comedy, because they don't know the characters, they're not, they're working it all out. You're throwing away good jokes if you put them in that bit of the show anyway. They're great for a second viewing. So the review, so so they decided they're going to put two episodes out on the first night, and that was so people could get used to it, yeah, and you yeah. can schedule things differently on digital channels. And it was a good idea because the reviews were pretty much the first, after you know reviewers saying, well, we thought the first episode was terrible, and but the second episode's amazing, and. And so, you know, you watch those two episodes together. There's not much between it. They're both pretty similar. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's just, that's just because you're setting up a world. So it was a good, that was a good decision that the channel made. These days you can box set it on, like, online and put, you can see all of them at once. Yeah. So right, yeah. you, you're, you're way more invested in, yeah, in the show yeah, you, if you're going to go forward with it. Because yeah. you can, you know, watch it all at once and let it grow on you rather than have to wait a week. And so back then, so that that was one key thing that I think helped the show take off. The figures, viewing figures were, compared to Skins, they were, you know, less than half of what Skins was getting. So it wasn't a huge success. But there, that was the first sort of foray into, for Channel 4 into uh, like having an online player. I think they used to call it 4OD back then. I remember, yeah. 4 on demand. Or it's called, yeah, something like that. How long was that? Between, All four, yeah. Between you guys leaving your jobs at Channel 4 mm. to actually getting the, the the pilot commissioned? How long, um, roughly, would you guess? Probably a couple of years. You, neither of you got paychecks in, at all at this point. I think what we did, again, this is for the audience in 2023. <laughs> 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 but, it, you know, what we did was we, when we, when we started the company, so we sold basically like a first look deal for our ideas. We, we, we got some investment, which meant, was, was, at the time, DVD, there was a lot of money in DVDs. People... For the kids listening, they're like uh, yeah, they're like downloads, but they're on a, on, on a yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of plate, a little saucer, <laughs> and uh, so they yeah we would we got the, so we got a deal and that money went into the company and that paid for a bit like our friends um, uh, Will McDonald um, and David Granger run a company called Monkey who are brilliant and they like done TFI and uh, don't forget your toothbrush and these great big shows Chris Evans they work with Chris Evans a lot and they had their own successful company and they'd say look you can work out of here on use our office space and because we like having you guys around and if you get anything away you, you know you can pay us then and so it was a brilliant arrangement and you know it helped us get off the ground so we didn't have to unless we were, you know made some money we didn't have to pay them any money to be there which yeah. was fantastic and I can't ever thank them yeah. for that and then um, touch uh yeah we got we sold this rights package basically anything we do you get a first look at it and and if you like it you can you know invest in it and help the show get to air and you'll get the dvd rights so that was enough for us to just be able to sort of pay ourselves a, a, a wage every month okay, cool. but it wasn't what we were on you know we, yeah, we, yeah. we just you know course, we took the bare yeah. minimum just like what yeah. what you don't pay tax on we to took it as a, about, yeah. we took yeah we we you know we it was yeah probably we shouldn't say too much in case someone from the tax office is <laughs> listening and you know, did it illegally but that's what we did and that that got uh, got us through because that can't have been easy right you said you was just just started a family then yeah yeah you're paying yourself bare minimum yeah no. was there ever times when you were like 
what am I doing? On a personal level, that, what are we doing? This we're not earning any money. No, I think as I said earlier, I don't really think about things <laughs> in the future no, or other people. Not for a second. <laughs> I think I think you've kind of. Did you ever doubt? No, what I don't you're think doing? I did. I think I, I think I, I, I wasn't. It wasn't like supreme self confidence, but I kind of have always thought, you know. I'm capable. I can do. If this doesn't work out, I'll go and get a job somewhere else. Okay, you know yeah, I mean? There's plenty yeah. of jobs I can do. I mean, I don't. You know, I've done other jobs. I didn't do TV first. I was working on trade magazines and in on the editorial side. So I sort of uh, edited a magazine and stuff like that, which is all fine. It was, you know, I mean, and if I wanted to, I could always go back to something like that. I guess. I mean, yeah, I'll throw myself out of the window. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can always finish it. Yeah, yeah, it, but. Um, no, I didn't. I guess, and I think you have to feel a bit like that. You got to be a bit risk, um, you know, blind. I guess, yeah. and that I've always had a bit of a sort of history of that. Just yeah, just you know, bowl in, do it, believe you can do it, get it done. Yeah, just get the job done. Yeah, I think everyone should be a bit more like that. Actually, yeah, it's a lot of things aren't that. Hard. I mean, one of the things I noticed when I got into television was that you got an awful lot of credit just for not being like high maintenance and not being going to pieces and just being able to do simple things without you know breaking down and like a lot of because i had another job uh, you know the idea of making cups of tea for johnny i I end up working on a big breakfast first but getting johnny vaughan a cup of tea or uh you know i work with the guys who did zig and zag mainly so i would you know run and get stuff for them and get to help out on the show i used to think this was a like compared to writing about in- building products and windows which i was doing this was fantastic yeah was my first, your job. first job in tv yeah it was yeah running on the big breakfast and uh and i and i, and I so i think because of my background and experience it didn't seem like a chore and it was very easy you get a lot of credit for doing really simple stuff um and whereas some people, you know, might have been coming out of Oxford and or Cambridge, and then they're just sort of like, why am I making cups of tea for, you know, this form of entertainment that my parents would frown upon? It's not yeah. where I should be. I should be running the country, or and they like huge sort of status anxiety thing going on. So there's a lot. There was a lot of that, and and actually, I think there was a real virtue in just being quite normal. And I think what I'm good at, if I could blow my own trumpet, no, you should. Is I've discovered is I'm quite good in like high pressure situations like I love a crisis yeah. and like the 11 o'clock show or, or live TV that was these things were probably responsible for that because actually they are like working it's like crisis management because something's yeah. always going wrong yeah. and you're always like oh shit what are we going to do now what are we going to do now oh don't worry we can do this we can do this and you and it's good fun doing it in teams of people I really like yeah, that yeah. so I've kind of like, and I've had more serious things to sort of deal with as you get older in television and bigger you know bigger problems to wrestle with but I've always quite you know, I know it sounds a bit perverse, but I've always felt quite comfortable dealing with them. I don't mind that side of it. You know, I feel like actually nothing will ever be as stressful as when I first worked on The Big Breakfast. I was supposed to have booked a guest for a bit of live television. Zig and Zag were going to interview and like a fisherman. And I'd booked him and researched him and told him to come along. And I'd given him the wrong day. So it's getting quite close to airtime. And they're like, where's your guest that you booked? And I was like... I'm like, by the, <laughs> by, by the way, I was getting not paid for this. It's like I'm working for free and getting there every day and everything. And I'm, I've never worked in TV in my life. So I'm a bit like, uh, I mean, there's a little bit of me. It's a bit like, should I be doing this? Because like, this is going on telly. Like, yeah. you know, shouldn't someone a <laughs> bit more experienced, you know, and a uh, bit more grown up than me be doing it? But I was still like, well, I don't know. Imposter syndrome. When, when yeah, I realised yeah. that they weren't there, they weren't coming and it was my, I rang them and the guy was like, well, you told me it's tomorrow. I was like, oh. 
Christ. And I thought, that's it. That's the t- I'm going to get sacked. So I had to, that's my TV dream over. So I remember running the big breakfast house where they recorded the shows was on the canals in East London. And I remember running, this is, must have been at like half past four in the morning, five o'clock, running up and down the canals until I found a fisherman who was out all night and haven't said to him, listen, mate, I know it sounds weird, but I'm yeah. going to lose my job. I need to get someone to go on. Have you heard of the big breakfast? And he's like, what? What's going on? I was like, would you do it for me and come in? And then so I managed to convince him to come down to the studio and fill the slot and do this interview that they wanted to do with a fisherman and, and got, got away with it. I bet that was the weirdest morning of his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... Being interviewed by two fucking giant puppets. It must have been, yeah. At like half four in the morning. And at that point, like, there's so many things like that that happen all the time on a daily basis in television that you get a bit, you know, How you kind of get used to it. You like it. How old was I? Yeah. 25, 26. That's quite a sink or swim moment, to be fair, isn't it? They yeah. could have just gone, I'm sorry, I fucked up. Oh, there's a bit of me thinking, if I don't hit a fisherman, I'll keep going. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll, I'll, just go, I'll, I'll end up at the sea. Where does this canal go? Yeah. The old Houdini. <laughs> just, just, yeah, I'm just popping out to get the guest. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> cloud of smoke so yeah and I think that, that is, and I do think that's to do with personality type I think you know some people like that so, so I'm, some I'm, people like being uh, get yeah. comfortable being uncomfortable don't they and I think that's exactly that yeah I look at Theresa May you know in Brexit I think she quite likes a crisis I think she quite I think she deals with it better than anyone else I, I mean, I have a different reading of it all, and I'm not a Tory, but you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong Labour supporter, but I, I'm confused by Brexit because I sort of don't really understand yeah. any of it. But the thing that I noticed about her is she does seem to be one step ahead of the game. Like, that's why everyone thinks that everything she does is a disaster. I think, well, no, I think she's just politically one step ahead of everyone because she knows where this is heading, and it's heading to a place that she probably wants, which is second referendum but she does not want to be the person to say we're having a second referendum and so even by getting it like you know if you take away all the noise about it you've done you know everyone's been involved in negotiations really to some extent you know you know you know what's like they've come up with come up with a deal it's not going to get significantly different or better because the person the person you're trading with has got their own red lines and you've got your own red lines and where you are is where you are no one's going to try and screw the other one they're not because it's too important for both of them and they're going to try and make it work you know as best as it can for everyone there's no incentive for them not to do that on either side so i suspect that the deal that they've got is pretty close to the one that they can agree given the red lines that exist and now and and so so for me i feel like she's she's just playing along a a smarter game than then you see her and she sits through these things and through votes of confidence and she sort of almost enjoys that bit of it she's a bit like all right well you can get it out i mean she like jeremy corbyn for instance i mean he's got to be the worst leader of the labor party in my lifetime possibly it's history he managed to turn the biggest defeat in the government in like history of politics for the government into a, a vote of confidence for them the next day i mean like, who could do that? Who would think that would be... The, that's the way to deal with this huge, like, crisis and the chaos that exists, is I'll give them a win the next day. He knew he was going to lose that vote as well, so what was the point of it? I just... Again, that's what I mean. I don't understand politics. I'm a bit like... It seems... She's a bit of a wally, though. I, mean, I think I everyone... Just... I think they're all... Partly the thing I find frustrating these days about any politics is people are just... And maybe it's always been the same, but I think social media has just made 
accelerated this is that people just talk over one another. So anything that he says or that she says in the House and anything that was said in these days of debates, it's no one listens to anything anyone else says. No. They're saying it for the audience outside who will pick up on it and go, oh, they said this, and it can be soundbited. You know, like Nigel Farage used to turn up to the European Parliament and take the money for the job that he was given even though he didn't do the job and he would turn but he would turn up, they'd be having a debate about something and you have you have a you have a slot where you're allowed to you know, Shout say your back, thing. Yeah. And he would stand up and he would talk about nothing to do with that debate. He would say the weird thing. All the other Euro MPs were like, this is weird, isn't it? He would say something really angrily, like even though he was talking to no one. Mm. And it was just for the camera. Yeah. And then that would get clipped. And then that, like Russia today were using that clip to sort of, you know, influence the Brexit, you know, yeah. uh, Bre you know Brexit campaigns and people how they might vote and they would say yeah. well this is a disgrace you know Nigel Farage stood up and said this in the parliament and you get linked to that and you go well I'm glad someone's saying it you think they were they were they were debating bananas mate they weren't talking about <laughs> immigration no they were it's just like, a, like it's just a weird thing that so you have people talking over each other and not listening and, and in my experience that only ends badly and that's like American politics exactly the same it's just like where are we where ahead with that I'm not sure our politics in general, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, you're younger than me. I mean, what, you must find it baffling. I mean, I, I remember it when it was at least slightly value based, or people did listen or to each I, other. I, I wouldn't want to like my opinion of it. I don't think is one that should be shared by everyone of my generation. But I just don't care. I, it's not that I don't care what happens, but I've I've cared about it in the past, and I've paid attention to it, and I've voted, and it, and it hasn't served me any yeah. better. And so, the, is that because you the, feel powerless? Because you, uh, I just, matter. I just feel like I, I'd be much better served using my time to, to work on myself yeah. and my own business I than I would are, yeah. listening to this drivel. Yeah, and I, I take pretty much exactly the same approach. I care about what happens. Yeah, for the country, but other than that, it's like I might as well use my energy for and it's my just own too shit. tight. We've, life's too short to be listening to that nonsense yeah because it is embarrassing like exactly like you say the, w the way they're behaving in parliament shouting over each other it's just like what are you doing like see you later I've got no time also for... this, this and we've discussed this in the past with we're going a bit off topic here but but um, social media especially and the news that just gets filtered onto your news feeds yeah. isn't, isn't accidental you know, what, what, if you click on a certain link or you mm. express interest in certain um, topics, then that you're, you're pushed in one direction, whether it's left or right, it's usually left or right. It's, um, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, yeah, it's very sophisticated now. Yeah. Like, I, I was, I was listening to somebody who was, uh, who investigated the Russian attempts to, uh, yeah, a tamper with the election in America. And there's a, a Russian company called the Internet Research Agency, and it's basically, you know, funded by the Secret Service, and and it's just a you know it's just a room of young writers and computer experts who have, whose job it is to sow seeds of disinformation or to try and push people gently, you know, to you know it's all to do with like you know getting Cambridge Analytica data and, and yeah. then getting into people's inboxes because they knew which way they were likely to vote or they were swing voters. And what it turned out, I was quite surprised, was it wasn't that they were just going, well, we want Trump in, so we'll just go after all the right-wing groups and go vote Trump, vote Trump, or anyone, like, tell everyone to vote Trump. What, you know, what they did was more sophisticated than that, and it started, like, about four years before the election. They just used to lay the seeds for any group that was a tribe. 
they would so it wasn't like just right wing groups or even anything to do with politics sometimes it might be you know young mums who you know are in a baking club in detroit or it might have been gay farmers in <laughs> you know texas uh, and, you know, they would look at the African-American communities and try and, you know, just create little tribes and go, oh, we all think the same things. And they weren't political about stuff. They would just be like, oh, it's great, isn't it, being in a tribe? So they would, they would basically fan the flames of tribalism all across America online. And then when it came to the election... If you were a right-wing tribe, they would just say, well, of course, Donald Trump's right, we need a wall, and it would reinforce all the things he was saying anyway, which, you know, to be fair, wouldn't affect the election. But if you were, like, African-American, and you weren't inclined really to vote Republican uh, in your, you know, your, your, yeah, your tribe... Yeah, have been. Yeah, you, you know, because of obvious social economic reasons, um, you would be getting emails from your tribe saying, uh, i tell you who's bad for us as a group. Hillary Clinton, yeah, Clinton yeah. because of this and because of this. So, it, you know, it was way more nuanced than they appreciated. And, you know, they kind of like, you know, it was easy enough to do. And once they got, once they could get, once they knew who everyone, once they created the tribes, it's a very, very powerful tool. Once you've got a tribe, you can then convince that tribe of anything because it's a smaller group of people and you've just got to convince it's all in their interests. So they did that. And uh, it's sort of like, I think if you read back on it, I think Hitler did a similar thing as well. <laughs> it's like a, you know, it's just old psychological kind yeah. of manipulation techniques. And, and But it's very, uh, you know, it's terrifying that we're that, you know, susceptible to, to manipulation. manipulation yeah. yeah, it is. Um, right. Because we are going slightly off topic here. What do you want to know? Back to um, high pressure situations. <laughs> well, I was. I, the series is out now. First series. Yeah. I've skipped a bit. Series is out, and it's become a success. Or you, yeah. it's it's. Well, at what point did you, at what point do you become aware like this is everyone's loving it, and we could be on to like a real. I don't even think. Like, we, we, or was that not? A thing? No, because I think we just you know we just. Because for us as viewers. That was really apparent. Like yeah. suddenly, everyone was talking about it. And I think it was the, like the second um, series at some point, yeah, like the second. Se so the second season, it did tip, but not hugely. But you like you, I'd say that would have been the tipping point. I think we were going on to it, that four on demand, the early days of like having having you know um, uh, streaming their version of an iPlayer, yeah, streaming. Yeah. That, that was the second series when it first, went on there. you know, no, first series went on there, and oh. I think when they were like they were taking a while to recommission the series and give us a second series, and I discovered during that period somebody worked on on that side on the digital side. They said, "Well, you the interesting thing is your show is responsible for a third of all the traffic so far that we're getting, and right. we were like a small show on E4, so that was." You know, that made them sit up and take notice. Right, yeah, yeah. And then I think that was quite, you know, that was probably quite uh, important in terms of us being given the second season. And then uh, then second season sort of doubled in audience figures and people. And I think that was it. I think it just had a critical mass. In, and there was obviously a lot of DVDs were starting to be sold. You got, a, you got I think it was one of those shows that was, it was, there were all the signs were there but they weren't strictly on like the terrestrial 
broadcast. So it was quite modern in that way. It was like young people were watching this in different ways. So they're they're getting yeah, it on DVD time, really, or they're getting it, yeah. it on you know streaming services. And and so it was really building. And I think yeah, it had a huge reach beyond the television. And in the third series, by the time, like the second season, yes, yeah, as a bona fide hit. I think we won some awards as well. That helps. Yeah, you know, picking up comedy awards yeah. and yeah, you know viewer awards and things. And yeah. yeah, and then the final season when it came out was. Uh, you know, suddenly made the leap into millions, and yeah, it was you know it became a bit of a phenomenon. Then, like everybody was watching, and then at the end, so we had three series of huge success, and then we were like, you know, they were like, do you want to do a four series? And that was it. We were like, no, we want to do we want to do a film. Yeah, and everyone was like, don't do a film. Well, you made that decision. <laughs> yeah, did you? Why? Why not I think two? Ian did actually. I think Ian wanted to really well, to do, do it, it. Or to not do it. Sorry, to do the film. Yeah, yeah not four series because I think we just felt. It's hard when you write. I know it sounds like anyone who does a proper job. When you you say this, you feel a bit like a fraud. But it is just incredibly difficult to make a series. Like if you write it and you're there every day and you film it and you're editing it and you know it takes a year of your life and it's intense. You know, intense year of your life and uh, and so we've just done three years of it and the idea of doing another year of it as another just series. Thinking, this film would be easier. It wasn't easier, but we just like you know you got you got to keep moving forward. We always used to have there was a uh, there was a film we both watched documentary. A director called Kevin McDonald made a film about two uh, mountaineers called Escaping the Void or No Touching the Void. Touching it's a brilliant the void, film. Yeah. You seen it? Yeah. Yeah. And and one of them they they go up this mountain in South America and it's a really difficult climb and they get into difficulties and one of them dies and the other one has to get down, and he does manage to get down, like, dra- like he goes, you know, he's physically, he's completely wrecked, but he manages to drag himself through crevasses and get down, it's an incredible story. But he, there's a thing in that where he said, I kept thinking all the time, you just got to get off the mountain. So he had to cut himself. There's, a, I think a big part of the, of the story, and was quite controversial at the time, is that he cut, he was connected to his partner while they were climbing, and his partner, was going to die and there was no way you could get both of them off the mountain so he had to cut the rope and leave his partner there to die or die with him and he made that decision to cut the rope and he got to get off the mountain and that's what he kept telling himself and that's the only way he got down and back to Cope and survived partner, is this true story? true story and it's a documentary so it's a brilliant documentary but anyway that, t- that phrase is become a bit of a mantra for us which was you know, whatever you're doing you've got to keep moving you've got to keep moving you've got to get off the mountain like you've yeah. got to get off the mountain you can't stop and yeah. wait for things yeah. to happen. And I think we were like, well, you know, we'd like to we have ambitions to make films. We'd like to do a film. The show couldn't be more popular. We own the we got we got that decisions within our gift really. Let's we could get film. the investment for it. Let's do a film. Uh, so that was that part of that decision process. So I think right, didn't it? I think it's right. I think you've got to keep moving forward. Yeah. You know, it's challenge yourself. Challenge yourself to does do Does the process things. differ between um, filming uh, a series and ah. filming a film. Well, here's the thing: Every, everything, everything's the same almost. Like I looked at it, like, and there's a lot of snobbery about film and TV, and everything's almost the same. Like you film it with the same cameras, same people, you know, makeup, actors. It's the same thing, you know. Same, you length, same length of day that you work. Yeah, for. everything's the same. So everybody was quite surprised when they, like, all the film people were a bit like, "Oh, they're going to screw this up. We better watch over and make sure they're doing it." And then when it came down, they're like, "Oh, actually, they're really good. They're professional. They know what they're doing." So like, it was your, it was your production company. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So, and we were like, "Well, of course, because we know, yeah, it's the same." But yeah. Crucially, one thing which we didn't realise is different is the story length itself is a feature length. So it's like you go from we're we used to writing half hours, so we're now writing a ninety minute script. And to keep 
people engaged in a story and and done you know to keep them uh keep them interested that's a that's a whole new skill you know so actually the one thing where you needed probably a bit more experience would have been the writers which was us so we didn't really we kind of underestimated that so it took us a while to get this you know script started off a really long 180 pages there's whole chunks of action that we had to cut out that don't exist in in the right. film version of it that we'd written and so you're producing characters. and directed we didn't direct that film it was ben palmer directed okay, that he was right. a tv he, he directed that tv uh, two of our tv well, series right? yeah, yeah. And he's a great director. He's and, nice yeah, guy. He's yeah, nice. He's very collaborative. So we would... It's a, I'm a, I direct now, but I, back then I didn't direct. But worst nightmare for any director is having like the two show runners, essentially, me and Ian, who are the creators of the show and producers and they're in the company, like sitting behind you just going, maybe you should... Man, you know, yeah. Ben, <laughs> ben yeah. do you want to maybe get that shot there, Ben? 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 Yeah. <laughs> ben, come that? back. <laughs> ben? <laughs> you, yeah, you drive him mad. He was, he's such a... He's got a lovely character as well. He's a really nice man, very talented director. So he did a brilliant job of handling that. But um, we directed the second movie because, again, got to keep moving, got to get off the mountain. We were like, we've got to challenge ourselves. And, it, you know, who else is going to give us a job directing a movie? And we, and we, by that point, you know, we'd seen enough. We'd made three series. We'd been there every single day. We'd yeah. discussed every single shot. We'd written it. We'd edited it ourselves. We always do the editing because yeah. we, we like that bit as well. Yeah. You know, so we kind of like, we can do this. We, we, you know, we could we can challenge ourselves and do the directing. But One thing I wanted to ask was... Um, so when you write the first series and the pilot, yeah, you think it's shit, or, yeah. or you yeah. might not think it's shit, but you're no. Criti- I think if you think critical. everything you do is brilliant, yeah, you're probably a right. Sociopath. But then other other people yeah. read that. <laughs> you just point at me there. That's <laughs> <laughs> the problem. Um, but then other people read your first thing and yeah. they will give you an honest review of it. Well, that's what you want. Three series later, it's a massive success. Yeah. You're writing a film. Yeah. Is there not a bit of when people read it? Then they not is that not clouding their judgment a bit? They're like yeah. these guys are but kind also, of geniuses. This, they're is, funny anyway. You use the same people, don't you? So like I, I, we work with Caroline Leddy all the time where we can on anything because right. she's you know she's just a big influence in our lives and and so brilliant at producing and writing and script editing that she you know, you know she, and she would never yeah, pull a punch. Yeah. She'd never pull a punch. I mean, sometimes I'd be like. Oh, I wish you would. Could you just maybe pull yeah. that one punch, Caroline? Ow! Yeah. Like, no. I don't I can take anymore. Yeah. And like, you know, she, one thing that's like Caroline, this is, you know, things that are really important in the evolution of, you know, a hit is that we would, at the end of the shoot and we're in the edit and with months, you know, I've been doing this for months and months and we're so tired and exhausted. We don't know if anything's funny now because the editing process, you're just looking at it day after day, tinkering yeah. a bit. You can't, you haven't got any... That is literally just stitching things together. Yeah, but then much. changing the cut and, you know, you've got to get it down to time. and You know, so much to do. It's, it's quite hard when you yeah, get in there. There's so much material. And and then at the end of that, like, Caroline would... One thing we'd never do at the beginning was write the voiceovers between the scenes because we thought, oh, we'll do that in the edit. And we always, like, put that off because, you know... And, and, and then Caroline would come in and sort of go... Right, well, you need a voice over there. You need a voice over there. And they're just like more jokes to write. And we were like, oh, no, can we get away with that one? And she'd be, never let you get away with one. She'd be like, no, because like that adds, you know, you're just adding jokes. You can keep adding jokes to make it better. That joke could be funnier. That's not good enough. So you need someone. It's always Will, wasn't it? Yeah, Will, Will, all, Will narrates. Yeah, yeah but right, someone yeah. pushing you like that. You need yeah. that. Like, even if you're driven yourself, because Ian and I are quite driven and we want make our show as good as possible. But I suspect if we didn't have, there were days when you'd just look at Caroline and just think, 
come on, just give us a break here. Yeah, and I'm so glad she didn't. I mean, that's why we stick with her. Is that you got you got to find people like that in in your you know in your life that you trust and that oh, will brilliant. be hard on you. Yeah, but she's not. I, I said she is not hard on us. In I don't know, if anyone knows how to delicately, you know tease someone's ego yeah. <laughs> she's brilliant at handling yeah. us i think she like you send her a script and it's probably rubbish and she'll tell you like oh this is fantastic. what's great about great it great effort damon this is how so this is how you get yeah. notes this is always quite interesting because people you know the notes process is quite interesting you get like someone will give you notes on a script and and the best notes that you ever get they always start with this is amazing it's going to be brilliant i'll tell you what i loved about it this bit was great god you've you still got it you got all that now and then they go yeah but (laughs) now uh right but you know here's a few thoughts i had which is basically we always used to call notes uh criticisms okay my next criticism is this and which is what they are but then you get you know then you get like see i don't mind getting a load of brilliant notes from a really funny person that say tell you why that might be you know not funny or it could be improved that's great but you've got to work out who those people are so you can get, don't take notes from anyone because yeah. it's hard i mean people if you ask someone to give an opinion on something you're halfway down the road to to fucking that up i mean that part of the process asking someone to give an opinion on anything is a bit or you know is a bit of a wasted endeavor because they you know they, they have to become an expert you know, like over, over, like overnight, they have to suddenly go. Oh, why is my? You know, and then they're like, "Well, maybe I should say something about that." That's what exactly you find, right? Yeah, yeah. They so you like get got to say something, yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes then, just say, "No, it's good." I like, I like you, you know, you get to know the stage of the process if you're good at giving notes. Sometimes you don't want a million notes on the first draft. You might want someone to say, "I tell you what, we need to get rid of one character first and do it step by step, and then get into detail." So it's always. You know, it's all a, it's all a huge learning curve. That I think learning how to and and Caroline does that brilliantly. I think just psych, psychology of handling, you know. A, a well, you typically um, have it just read by the same people, like every, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it depends what channel you're making it for. You'll get a different commissioning editor, obviously, if it's a different channel, and they'll give you notes. But you know, the the role in in our business where you know that that kind of mentor script advice is the exec producer role you know so right, caroline's yeah. in, so you choose your own exec producers Course, yeah. so yeah we use we use caroline and we use also the script editor as a guy called robert popper who used to work at channel four as well he's really funny uh and he makes uh, friday night dinners that's his show he writes that it's all about his family basically and right. it, you know he's he's brilliantly funny so he comes in and does a pass on the scripts and he will just add funny jokes and that's yeah. you know that's great well, it turns well. out it's worked pretty well actually today um, good process um, uh, like it is a good movie, process that's the, yeah. that's the key big movie studios front the cash to make the films Channel 4 put the money up I did that yeah. both films yeah All so right. they rarely do that so it was a very smart decision on their so part they, yeah savvy they, um, they must have done alright out of that did very well yeah. out of it do they send their own producer to make sure because a producer makes sure you're on time and on budget is that right also well, yeah, they 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 have a person there who's like a head of production, right. you know, who looks oversees all their productions and will, you know, yeah, work with our production people just to make sure that we're not, you know, blowing the cash and yeah. Just Can a I ask bit how much it costs to make the first film? If I remember correctly, I don't think it's a secret. It, I think we started off budgeting it about three and a half million, but I think it came in at just under five, so about four and a half to five million, somewhere around. And that the second was film. obviously dearer. Second was. Eight. Uh, double that, more, yeah. more. I think. I think it was, but that was because everybody just 
gets paid more in course, the sequel because yeah. yeah. people you know got paid okay over the first one but yeah you yeah, know, yeah not not compared like when you, you know look at what the film did yeah you know it was phenomenally successful it took you know i can't even remember now but i mean we're talking close to 50 million in the uk i think yeah and, they did uh, all right they did all right <laughs> from their investment yeah how long was you in australia for for the second one second one probably a couple of months right. down there yeah solid solid yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was great. I enjoyed that. I mean, that's you know, that's the thing. You know, that's the joy of keeping getting off the mountain is you know it takes you to interesting places. Yeah, yeah. It does really does. I mean, that was, that was one of the best trips of my life. I don't think I, would, I said earlier I don't really like flying, and I don't think I've ever been convinced to go to Australia because it's so far away. I was just like yeah. my view of Australia was it's a bit like sort of like I've been to you know big cities full of you know white people <laughs> like, yeah. I was a bit like yeah it's a bit like Essex in the sun is what I thought it would yeah. be like and it's not it's, it's not extraordinary so, it? and yeah the whole like, yeah, just a, like the visual candy of but you would have never, you would have never gone there right if you hadn't have had that opportunity because you're not really keen on flying anyway yeah exactly so, so that, that be, made me do you wouldn't have chosen yeah. to go there yeah you so, stayed on the mountain uh no, yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, would have, would have, you know, Ian would have cut my arm off and travelled to Australia on his own, you know, without being attached anymore. Um, was, was there ever a point? Sorry, just to be crass for a minute. Yeah. When you got a check in the post and you were like, "Holy shit!" Weirdly. Yeah, but it wasn't like it wasn't when you think it was. You know, when the film blew up. You know, that point. I think the point. Well, I was most that. impressed with the money was when I got a check to do with the DVDs for the first series. Right. And it wasn't extraordinary. It wasn't life-changing sums of money. But I was just like, this is good, isn't it? Like, you know, we had nothing. This is a great thing about... I, th I felt like this the other day. I did a show called White Gold and we just we had a few uh, delays on this second series. But we just got to the end of editing and I just finished the first episode and we're playing it back. You do this process and you yeah, film, write film, edit, then you get to a point where you've got to just lock the show and go this is it now right. that's the that's it we're there we're locked so we watched the first episode of the second season the other day we watched it back we like we really liked really enjoyed it it was you know entertaining it was a good way uh, you know it's a good lot of story half an hour characters we know and like uh, finished it at the end of that i was like you know what we 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 did that like this is a film my producer phil i was like we had nothing you know we had an idea we talked about it. We went and talked to some other people. They liked it. They gave us some money. We went away. We made we made all that happen. All that's just come from like nothing. you know one, yeah. from nothing, and we did it. And like there it is. You get like a thing. I'm quite proud of that. It's quite good, isn't it? It's quite a good watch. That's yeah. come from literally nothing. That yeah. came out I, of our heads. I remember heads. you saying, like a couple of years ago, yeah. I might do this thing about double glazing sales. <laughs> but like that is literally how it starts, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I got so anyway. In in terms of Crastex, I got a check for the DVD one year. Um, after maybe the first series, like after Christmas sales or whatever, and I got this check and I thought, that's amazing, isn't it? Like that's like literally that idea has turned into, you know, a nice little mm -hmm. check. What am I going to do with that? And I went out and bought. Uh, I, at the time, I thought it was the most luxurious thing you could do. Is I bought, I'd always <laughs> some reason I like I really like furniture and I wanted to get an Eames chair, which it, like it's, like there's they do like a sedan and a chair, it's big chair 
very classic sort of 1960s low leather top wood panelled on the back and very very comfortable and sit in and it was I think the chair cost five grand like that yeah. on the stall yeah. I was like fuck I'm spending this on a chair <laughs> and yeah, like I so say it felt a lot of, yeah but it felt a lot of money but like that chair like I, I love it my kids love it everyone comes in and like these chairs are so comfortable and I sort of knew at the time I was like I like and it means a lot to me that chair because I was just thinking oh, yeah like more than almost any. do you know what I mean like there's been bigger you know there's been bigger checks since yeah yeah, yeah. And there's been more extravagances, and yeah. I, I mean, really, I like nice holidays with my family. Really. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have super sort of swanky cars, and we've got a nicer house, you know. But we, yeah. but I normally spend it on experiences stuff, or yeah. Yeah. But uh, but that that I remember that moment. That was I don't that know why I don't know why that stuck with me. The first moment of this worked out. Yeah, but I felt, I tell you what, I remember that when I started work and I got my first paycheck, I was working in a luggage store on Piccadilly because my mum had said, you've got to get a job. And I was like, all right, I'll go up to London, went to an agent. I literally did it to spite every, like show show off, just I'll get, I'll get a job. Yeah. Went out, went to a like recruitment agency in a day. This is that, I, then we got back to that idea where I thought, you know, I'll be all right, I can do stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they were like, go and have an interview <laughs> with this person. And they were like, uh, you know, it was a luggage store on Piccadilly and they sold high quality luggage and went to the interview that afternoon. They offered me a job and I came in and went, yeah, I got a job. It's like seven and a half grand a year. Yeah. He's getting London. I mean, I hated that I job. Terrible job, yeah. And I just basically spent no time thinking about it. And then, uh, so I'm doing this job. But I remember getting my first paycheck and it was in central London and, you know, I didn't grow up in London, I was in Kent. And uh, and I remember going out, getting my first paycheck, just going out at lunchtime and I bought a chippy jumper because at the time there was a brand called Chippy. I used to do like big knitwear and you just spend it all, I'd spend it all on clothes in the arcade. But I used to remember, I remember that again, I remember buying that jumper and thinking, this is all right, isn't it? I mean, all I've done is just sort of like turn it's up to this place for a week. <laughs> yeah. Got a couple of hundred quid. And I've just bought a nice jumper. Yeah. I get the rest of my mum, and then I just carry on going to work and have beans on toast every day. You know. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's little little things like that are important in life. And yeah, I think so. You rem- you know, you remember. You say that. about experiences. I think that's super important. Yeah. Spending your money on experiences. I've done this. I've done this countless times in the last few years, but I've bought. Like even like cars or like watch like yeah. watches or like clothes or whatever, and I bought them and just thought this is I really like them. Like before I bought them, I thought I need that. Yeah, and like I need to have that. But that's all. That's all ego as well, I guess. Like it's just um, yeah, I can't satisfy. And then I bought it and I thought this is just shit. Like I don't even care. Right. Like within a week, like I don't even what a waste. Of, I don't even care about it. No, yeah. I've got one watch, nice watch that I like, and that was a gift for a fortieth birthday. And yeah. yeah. I, you know, I spent money on cars, but then I don't appreciate it. I mean, like, because ultimately it's just a thing that gets me to the station in the morning quickly, you know. Yeah, and the I, shine goes from the, those those material things so quickly. Yeah, yeah, I think if you really were into cars, it would be different. But I don't think yeah. I am enough. Do yeah. you know what I mean? I've, I've never yeah. been a collector of anything or like an enthusiast. I mean, I, I always feel a bit of a fraud for that because I think, you know, a lot of successful people, certainly in my industry, are like, oh, God, I was a sort of comic but nerd and or mm. they kind of like were making their own films when they were like you know five years old and yeah. then you go you hear all these stories and everything I was like I never knew what I wanted to do and I didn't have this big collection I was just I was much more out and do being I just like being out and experiencing stuff yeah I mean I wasn't doing anything extraordinary I was just hanging out with mates but that's kind of like being outside but that, you know it yeah. paid off in the end because yeah, I guess yeah. that's what my that's the MO became was, yeah. as a writer is like you know men and groups of men and you know the way they interact but yeah I always think about that like if you was you know my kids and one of them's very like me my eldest he's not an enthusiast about anything apart from 
like Fortnite and football. Yeah. And he's always getting told by his mum, oh, you've got to find some other interests. And I keep saying to her, but it might, he might not. I don't think you can force it on them. I don't think you can make people become, in, like maybe hanging around with enthusiastic people, you might sort of think, oh, yeah, I can appreciate stuff more. But I, And I've done that. Ian's very enthusiastic. But I have, it still has not led me to the point where I've gone, I'm going to become a collector or a cataloger of... Yeah you know of these yeah. things and one thing I, that I noticed definitely with like the new staff yeah is that the people who are more like that who have yeah. who have just grown up and spent lots of time with people like their people skills serve them far more better at their job and this might just be in my industry than perhaps any academic side that they might have like focused on like so I think yeah. I think just being good around people is a super valuable skill. It's one of the most right. valuable. I think it probably does, you know, even, I mean, if you're working at like CERN in, you know, yeah, and yeah, doing yeah, physics, yeah, yeah. you still, it still probably helps if you're good with people. You know, yeah. Einstein was pretty like rock and roll, wasn't he? Like yeah. he, he, he was, he was a good communicator. People yeah. liked him. They like hanging out with him. Like yeah. if he'd just been staring at the floor all day and shuffling around, he probably, <laughs> you know, maybe he wouldn't be so iconic. I don't know. It's probably yeah. his work, to be honest, rather than his... Uh, <laughs> it's probably the theory of relativity. That's, that's <laughs> his dinner party shtick. But, yeah. you know, he, he's on everyone's list to be on a dinner party. I do think it, uh, yeah, I think he's undervalued probably in, in life. I don't think we teach our kids enough. No. That, you know, actually there's so much... The world's they're so complex. It's so, it's so big and you're going to meet... And everything's going to be all right for you, really because you've already won the lottery just by virtue yeah, of where you lottery, live yeah. and what point in history and where yeah, you are. As bad yeah. as Brexit is, it's not as bad as living in, you know, sort of Somalia, is it? Well, you know, being, or being even being alive, in Vietnam in, you yeah, know, Being alive 50, in the UK right now makes you the luckiest 0.0001% yeah. of people who have ever lived. Yeah. So you might, you know, we might want to make sure that we... You know, we don't scare our kids into thinking that I think that's a really they're good point, turning yeah. out into a world where unless they've got so, you know, the right qualifications, they've been through the right schools and all got that. Got enough that, money, that. got enough friends, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've met enough people who've been successful in life who, you know, who started from, you know, with nothing. And they didn't do it from school, you know, who pissed around in school. You know, who were difficult, mm. who anti-authoritarian, you know, yeah. all those things. But what they were good at is they were smart and they, you know, they had a bit of, I think it's a mix of confidence, bit of smarts. You be do need to be educated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and being good around people. That's, you know, just, just a balance, like everything. It? When it comes down to it, every, yeah. you know, everything, if you want to be successful, turns out you've got to have a balance of abilities, yeah, you, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. If you're going to have a good diet, you want it to be balanced. Still. You can't yeah. just eat carbohydrates because you, or you can't just eat, not eat, you know, just eat meat because yeah. you will die eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Turn into a T-bone. Yeah. So, so, so what's what's next? Next can, is can you tell us? yeah. There's a show that we've got commissioned now with the BBC. Sorry, before that, White Gold. That your series. White two Gold's next. That, that I mean, I'm just assuming that. What, what, what year are we saying this show's going out? <laughs> so White Gold went out about season two went out about four years ago or so. <laughs> so in um, February the 18th, if this ever goes, if this goes to air before February the 18th, this will, I imagine, will it? Uh, it will probably be around then, actually. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that'll be good timing because in on, you know in February, mid February, White Gold season two launches. Um, so that's exciting. And where will that be? BBC Two. Okay. Cool. And after that, we are doing another BBC project. Ian, Ian, and I write. It's the first thing we've written together, like a 
comedy for television since the Inbetweeners. So we're writing a new show for BBC um, and it's about Premier League footballers, a fictional Premier League club, but like three young footballers who've just broken into the first team a very dysfunctional but big football club so like imagine an Arsenal or a Liverpool before they sorted themselves out yeah there's like big characters in the dressing room who are like at the end of their career uh, a bit John Terry-esque who are very dominating and you need a double yeah I know and then uh, <laughs> it's just been bought by American owners they don't really understand it they're trying to implement loads of sort of like naff American ideas to do with big jumbotrons and things like that, and then and and the coach has been there for sort of like the last twelve years. He's Italian guy, Cesare, and he's you know he's he's basically he's he's he's, he's passed his sell by date. So right. it's kind of a bit of things that you'll recognise from the world of football happening, nice. and it's about them navigating their way through that. Because what we've discovered with young footballers this is why we were interested in it. We're all footballers is I don't think people really, un I think they think that they sort of finish their day and then they're like flying private jets and going off to parties all over the world. And the, I think the sort of real truth about football is they're very dedicated sports people and they're actually yeah. contracted uh, and contractually obliged not to do anything. Like they have to leave, so they, they go and train for a bit in the morning till lunchtime. They do a few hours, they have some lunch, which is boring, like lunch that they, they don't really like eating. And then they have the afternoon off when they're not really allowed to do anything or get into trouble. Yeah. And then that's that's the process. And then, you know, for the whole season. So it was about what, what that's really like, you know, the, what the what the sort of public perception of young footballers which is you, you know bad let's be honest they're yeah. kind of yeah. you know they're up to all sorts of terrible things all the time and the reality which is they're just young lads who yeah well they some extraordinary things do happen to them because they have unbelievable sums of money you know and things mm. like that that they have to deal with a lot of it's really really mundane and a lot of it's just about you know passing time or, or existing it for them that's like being in sixth form. They have to exist in this dressing room and, and, and yeah. you know, the ecosystem of that and the different cliques and, you know, things that go on within that. Yeah, For that them, it's good. Yeah. yeah, it's the same. So we kind of like, we, you know, we just thought if it ain't broke, we, that's yeah. what we yeah, should yeah. do. Yeah. And we, yeah, and we love it. And I think, you know, it's great. We could, yeah, there's lots of exciting things coming up with that. So we're writing that now. I'm just getting on to, getting back to writing that with Ian. Um, and hopefully that'll be, yeah, finding its way. Yeah, it'll be finding its way to air either you know later this year or early next year probably. So I'd imagine twenty. I say early next year. I mean twenty twenty six. Yeah, so that's exciting. I'm looking forward nice. to that. Moving Damon. off the mountain. May get off the mountain one day. That's what yeah. I keep thinking. Just <laughs> so keep moving. Yeah, retiring. Damon, thank you ever so much for coming on again yeah thanks yeah. I appreciate it you're welcome it's all right that was good I enjoyed we'll, that. we'll do the next one this one's not up to scratch guys yeah. <laughs> when, do you want, when do you want the next one yeah. I think we cracked it a couple okay. of weeks thanks Damon all right cheers so there you go folks that was Damon thanks again to Damon for coming on hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did uh, I really enjoyed learning more about the man behind the self-deprecating bravado I think there is a very driven individual there uh, you can tell he is by the way he talked about the, the documentary about got to keep moving got to get off the mountain you can tell they, they needed that drive to get as he as he put it get the in-betweeners over the line him and his business partner Ian and congratulations to them for creating such a cool 
such a funny comedy that's up there with all all the classics for me. It's up there with Forty Towers. It's up there with Only Falls in in a modern day, which is hard to hard to do now, you know, because it's all feels like it's all been done before. But there was an absolute classic for me and the films, and and to be able to to leave that mark, you know, to that that's going to last. That's that's a cool achievement to me, and I'm really looking forward to what's next from Damon and from um, Ian as well. Uh, and thanks to you guys for listening. Please uh, rate the please rate the podcast. Please review it. Please subscribe on uh, the Apple Apple Podcast app. Just scroll to the bottom where you listen to it, um, and you can rate and you can review it there. You can do the same on Spotify if you listen elsewhere. Uh, other apps you can also rate and review it there if not head over to spotify or apple podcast to rate and review it for us because it will just help us get more exposure but until next time thanks for listening see y'all later